0: like to welcome everyone to today's show of truth today's guests we have chris Hoyer with us his book when that day comes training for the fight and our special guest finally today we have natalie june riley who actually edited the book is chris's girlfriend and she actually has her own book coming out the love notebook we're going to be talking about so you know and you know natalie has a large part into the writing of chris's book you know and You know, Chris in his throughout his career, you know, writing it down in his words, his perception and things like that. Natalie was able to masterfully, you know, edit the book to where you, I, to where it really is a read along, write along. It really is. So it puts it in perspective to where, you know, the civilian sector can understand, you know, what officers go through, as well as cadets first going in, individuals making their decisions to actually join the force. What you face throughout scrutiny you may face you know amongst fellow brothers and sisters administration and everything else alike and things like that as well too so it was kind of nice to have you know natalie kind of critique everything to where it puts an in layman's terms for you know civilian sector you and i and everybody else watching as well too while keeping the the meat and potatoes to where all law enforcement and first responders can actually relate to everything going on so without further ado welcome natalie welcome chris finally natalie Thank, Thank you. you. Well, you guys had
1: to give me some time. You can't just expect a woman to pop in, you know, fix yourself up a little bit.
0: You're, you're the finger snapper, not us, huh? Right? Oh, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, so Natalie, real quick. So when, when Chris first gave you the manuscript and you, you read through it, how, how did that, with you knowing Chris, on the the, the personal side and, you know, reading some of the intensity that he went through, you know, how much did that kind of just like, was it a shock value to you as well? Or how did that throw you back?
1: Honestly, I got to know him and the book about the same time. Like the day he gave it to me was really the first conversation we really had. So we were in an airport, we were doing, doing some police scenarios, some training, helping out, we were role players. And he he sent it to me email. and so during lunch when we had lunch break, I opened it up and honestly, I, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. and I knew as soon as I started reading it, it was special and that it would have to be published. Um, it was just so well written and just it just engaged me so much and I and I told him after lunch, I said, really we really need to sit down and, and talk about this because this is this is special. I knew right away.
0: Yeah. Amazing. You know, and it's the, what I love about it is the beginning to the end part. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the, you know, the, the, the jitters first going in, whatever every cadet faces going in, you know, and that's why I love today's chapter too, but, you know, it's the, you know, it, it, it makes that real life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and especially in today's culture, you know, us having to smash the stigma, you know, Chris touches base on, you know he lets a lot of his emotion into it as well too. There's a lot of fun in it and there's a lot of reality. And that, that's really what really strikes at home is the fact that, you know, everybody that you know goes out there every day.
1: Yeah. You know, should of course, be able to of course when we when I started editing, you know, you have to cut and paste and, and put it together so that it really engages the reader. And that um that was really difficult for me as someone who, who's never been in law enforcement. The only connection to law enforcement I had was my son, my oldest, um, Billy, who was, a, he was at the time working in Georgia for a small agency. So I'm reading this as a mother. And um, so it was really difficult. Some of the stories that I heard, um, didn't really want to know. Uh, but I think, like I said, it's an important story and, and just trying to get the story lined up so that it engages the reader and kind of takes them through the journey from beginning to end was um, it took us a while, It took a, almost a couple of years to get it, or a year, a full year for sure to get it done. But I'm so proud of it. I think it's one of the, the most important projects I've ever worked on. Um, and I'm so happy that I was able to do that. I'm so happy that we were put together for that. And, and I and I I mean, so many
0: others are as well, I'm sure.
1: And, you know, because. Now go ahead.
0: No, no, go ahead and finish up.
1: I was just going to say, knowing Chris, because I, I know him well now, and I look back at those stories and I can't even believe that that's the same guy because <laughs> Chris I know is this laid back beach guy um, just got a good soul. He's got good vibes. And, and then you read about all these, you know, scrapes he's, he was in, and it's just hard for me to imagine. that. Well, I mean, and that's why this
0: book is so important, you know, not only to individuals thinking about joining law enforcement, you know, the cadets that are, you know, just first going in, you know, even the veterans, but it's the family of because like you just said, Natalie, with, you know, you having a child that is in this career. You know them actually having the shop value is so important because a lot of people you know they 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 see it as whatever's portrayed somewhere yeah but if they don't have the realities of what goes on within there and a lot of just like you just said about you know you know chris this you know beach guy laid back guy do you know how many brothers and sisters are that same way but they are carrying so much so much so much weight internally
1: and yeah, I just got goosebumps because like my son, I've seen a change in him from he's only been doing this for a handful of years. Um, and I've seen a change in his demeanor is, you know, temperament, everything um, that sort of scares me. But seeing Chris on this side, having gone through 20 year, a 20 year career, um, three shootings and one gunfight that, you know, where they lost a fellow officer and then, you know, 16 officers who died in the line of duty while he was working Um, And to see him make it through that, where he is actually that laid back beach guy. He's got a good sense of himself and his world. Um, There is a way to come out of it on the other side. And that's why I think this book is important. That's why I think, you know, having these conversations like we're having now is important because, um, like I said, I've seen what it does at a very, you know, my 30 year old son to to Chris um, retired. You can come out of this um, well, so. Well,
0: at least, at least Chris has a belt loop he can hold on to. <laughs> <laughs> I like that patch on them jeans, by the way. That's pretty. Amazing. Oh, thank that you. Was, that, that was an innovative, right there. That was, that was good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's not a belt; it's more like a choker. Just so you guys know, you know, whatever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, I want to say uh, thanks to both of you guys because. Um, I kind of feel like I don't even need to be here because you're covering it all for me. But um, everything you guys are talking about is absolutely true. And make no mistake about it. I mean, I struggled a lot, especially after Dave was killed. Um, lost pretty much two two years of my life over that whole thing. And um, but now that I've, you know, I've sought the help that I needed to get back in shape. Now I'm living the best life ever. It's it's just
0: awesome, man. And That's amazing. Now I don't ask you a question. And I really for a question. so you know it's awesome. So, is Di- is Die Hard a Christmas movie? <laughs> Absolutely, it is. hell yeah. Do you know how you know many, you know many times I've seen Die Hard? Yeah. I'm about uh, forty five years old. I've seen Die Hard probably over 20, 20 times oh yeah, silly, silly. Since, since it came out in the eighties. You know, but uh, so but for the now, knowing you, reading your book, I never paid attention. To when Howe was actually on the CB and he's and he's talking to you know John McClane and he tells him that uh you know because he's talking about that one where he shot that guy right and yeah. it was a kid because he thought the kid there was a real gun and he said that's one of the things that they never train us for is living with our mistakes and I never paid attention to that part of that movie and it's a it's it impacted me a lot it's a little part of that movie but when you know Bruce Willis is talking to Howe and you know How's like you know because he's like. Because he was asking if he was flat-footed. Right. And he was asking, like, you know, why are you working the desk job? I figured it was because you were flat-footed. He said, well, though, I had this incident to where I seen a kid. I thought the gun was real. I shot him. Yeah. He said, you know, he's like, but that's one of the things that he never trained us for, you know, in the academy or anything else like that is living with our mistakes. And your book and you and everything else is the first thing that I thought of because it's, it's such a small part of that movie that it's overlooked. But back, even back in the 80s, You know, it's one of the things that, you know, officers live with this every day. All first responders live with this every day to where it's like they never train you for that. That's why this book is so vital. That's why it's so vital for family of first responders to actually understand what really goes on for the cadets to understand what they're really signing up for. You know, it all looks good in black and white. And when they can cut and edit everything on TV before you actually see it, it all looks good. You know, but, you know, hey, you know, who's, who's actually signing up for the, you know, the shit magnet? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, take that a step further. There's, you know, without
2: trying to scare people, there's things that you're going to see and that you're going to go through. Um, but I don't want people to get freaked out and think, oh, my God, it's all this really bad stuff. Because, I mean, that's that's a small percentage of it. Yeah, it does happen. Um, you're going to see a lot of bad things. Like, obviously, in my case, you know, Nat already mentioned it, buried 16 of my buddies. Um, three since I retired, and now we've got, you know, Tyler fighting for his life. Um, so that's 20 in now 23 years since I've been in law enforcement community. But to say that I would do it all over again, uh, absolutely all day long, because it's it's a calling. It truly is, and also it's a big cliche. Um, and I tell my guys all the time, uh, even for what I'm doing now, um, that you guys are honored to be sitting in that seat where you are, because so many people either can't or won't do it. Um, And there are even fewer people I wrote about this in one of my last stories that even us, we don't really even understand why the hell we do it, because who gets paid to get shot at? I mean, right. So but I mean, outside of all that, I mean, I I had a blast. I had an absolute ball, you know, out there chasing bad guys and even, just, you know, meeting up with the community and talking to people and doing meeting all these different people. And, you know, it's just absolutely a, a ride from. It's like your e-ticket ride all the way across the board, man. It was it was awesome. So
0: through your through your career, how many smiles do you think that you got to see because of your actions? Um.
2: Well, to be honest with you, I know this is kind of it's going a little bit off track, but um, and I know Natalie has a hard time, you know, coming to terms with it, and a lot of my friends that are, that know me really well are the same way but I was pretty much the same guy on the street that I am right now. Um, it was only that situation, you know, you hear a lot of, and I'm not comparing myself to the SEAL community by any stretch, but you hear a lot of the SEAL guys talk about the same thing. They're super mellow until it, until they got to turn it on. Um, you turn it on for that few minutes, whatever it is, and you turn it right back off. And so with that, um, I had a lot of really good feedback, even from my bad guys, you know, and I tell us, you know, i teaching a use of force class a couple of days ago, and I tell them, you know, as long as the handcuffs are off and you guys are within policy and not excessive, the rules are out the window. You know, there are no rules for us um, at that point in time. And more often than not, what happens with me was I knew we talked about this a lot before where, you know, mentally, I know that I can't lose a fight. If I lose that fight, I could die or somebody else could die. So I had that mindset. Um, but as soon as I win that fight, you know, I'm dusting them off and I'm, and I'm apologizing for having you know knocked your teeth out or whatever else it was. And... You know, clearly sometimes they get pissed off, or whatever else. But uh, it was very, very common for me to say, you know what? Well, here's a here's a Coke, here's a Snickers bar. You know, um, let's just freaking kind of part friends, so to speak. Even though you're going to jail, I'm going home. And uh, believe it or not, a lot of bad guys took that on board. They're like, yeah, you freaking asshole cop, I hate you for doing what you did. But it never, it was never a lack of respect, if that makes any sense. So a really long roundabout answer to your question. I got a lot more positive feedback than you would think you know so oh, uh, which is good
0: well you know a lot, a lot of times it's a blessing you know so a lot of individuals don't see that blessing until later in life and you know a lot of times that ride back to the station where well, <laughs> the a ride downtown whatever the case is you know it, it does give you know officers that opportunity to plant seeds you know it or you know what we just went through didn't have to happen <laughs> You know your your family now affected by this everything else and it's the you know it, it can change lives you know that's just like you know people don't look at duis as severe as they should be looked at i mean there's innocent kids innocent families out there and things like that so officers that make dui stops they're saving lives ultimately you know but it's no yeah. things like that and you know it's the the impact that you do on you know like you said it's a calling and some individuals say oh yeah I just i like to help people Okay, we well, do this, you know. Okay. But it's the oh, well, I don't know if I want to uphold all that now. You know, I'm not gonna risk myself for it. Yeah. Well, also, you know, you've got you've got discipline where you can say,
2: you know, does this guy need another thousand dollars worth of tickets? He's already five grand in the hole. Am I really helping him by doing that? Probably not. All he's gonna do is be pissed off at the cops, and it's gonna prompt this guy not to want to stop for us, or he's gonna want to fight us because
0: you know we're assholes to this dude um we, so that's the problem man you've been writing too many tickets man you got to went with that billy club one time i bet you'll stop there yeah pretty
2: much. <laughs> do you want me to stop or do you want me to slow down you know all that joke um we can be empathetic and sympathetic if we need to to some of these people and not everybody needs to get freaking thumped or a ticket or whatever else sometimes they just need a, a freaking a shoulder to cry on or whatever else not getting all sappy but that's happened too you know and let's face it when the cops show up it's not because they want to you know have beers and barbecues and shit. it's usually because they're having a really bad day and more often than not because we caused that bad day um so i had a, a all kinds of opportunities to take a step back and go you know um yeah i could jam you up 27 different ways but you know i'm, I'm just not feeling it i just i was too a lot of guys told me i was probably too um lenient on some folks before but you know, when they, they make that decision, they're going to take you out, shoot at you or whatever else. And then they pause and they're like, well, all right, maybe I don't really want to do that. Does that happen all the time? Probably very rarely. But, you know, we have that opportunity. We've got that, you know, that chance to change people's lives for the positive or for the negative. I say go for the positive if you can. Not all the time, of course, because some guys just need it. They need to get their ass kicked and so be it. And they need tickets and
0: whatever else. But so. Well, that's, that's an important part of the training as well, though, too, is the mediation. Because a lot of times, things don't have to escalate to the point to where they go. You know, sometimes the bad guy doesn't have to go to jail, you know, if proper mediation is done. You know, a lot, and especially domestic calls, which domestic calls, you know, it's are the highest out of any kind of, you know, call we're going to take. But, you know, knowing how to do that proper mediation and to be that in-between, almost like a marriage counselor, <laughs> you know, it where you're just having that mediation where... You know, it doesn't always have to end up to where bad guys go going to jail or things like that. They do need that sort to cry on or just somebody to mediate and listen to both sides. And just say, look, you know, you, can you guys work this out amongst each other now that we've actually, you know, got to the bottom of the things. But, you know, there's, all, there's always a, I'm not going to say always, but, you know, as long as effort's put forth, I guess, you know, the mediation part is a lot of the job, realistically. Well,
1: like Chris so, said, not, every, not everybody's a bad guy. They just might be having a bad day. You know, and so you got to be able to determine that, decipher, you know, have that ability to do that.
0: Exactly. You know, and having some, having someone like you snapping the fingers, you know, kind of helps out as well. too. <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need to clone you and pass you out. That's the love notes.
1: There's plenty of us out there.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So how, mu- how much of I mean because I, I know that you know when you go into the agencies that the instruction that that you're providing have you been able to do it as a course rather than like a, an initial giving? You know what I mean because th- there's so much that's entailed in just like in this book. you know in this book only probably encapsulates, a small portion of your experience, your knowledge or, you know, just everything that you have to give. But, I mean, it's the – are there main portions that you try to pass on to, whether it be the cadets, the veterans, superiors, or anything else like that?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's an audience by audience kind of a case, if you will. Um, hopefully, we didn't lose you there, Michael. So,
0: so there you are. Can you right. hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hold on. Me, I got to readjust this. Okay. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, if I can't, I'll answer your question now if you want me to.
0: I can still hear you. Okay.
2: Um, you know, every every class that I teach is a little bit different, and I have recently been uh, re-instructed or re-guided to, you know, to the point of. Um, not trying to tell everything that I know because I want everybody to walk out knowing everything that I know, which of course is literally impossible, you know. Um, so depending on who it is I'm teaching, I try to get as much of the point across as I can for whatever particular topic. Um, depending on again if it's a, if it's a recruit class or it's a post academy class or if it's a bunch of SWAT guys or whatever it is, I try to focus on their, their biggest needs and, or their biggest experiences, if that makes sense. Um, so it doesn't really come across as a course. And unfortunately, sometimes when they, when they see my story and they hear my, my stuff, um, more often than not, it's like, I was on the floor and a lot of shock value. And a lot of guys don't want any part of it. They don't think it's real. They don't want to be faced with that reality. And A lot of them just – it's not that I lose the crowd necessarily, but they just kind of shut down because it's it's too much for them sometimes. But the wonderful part is oftentimes I'll do – I'll have one or two guys most of the time that will kind of corner me afterwards and go, hey, man, what do you think about this or this or this? And then we have, you know, long conversations. I made just a ton of connections with guys that I still talk to. Uh, In fact, Chris Guerrero reached out to me today. He's got a guy that he's going to call me because he got into a critical incident and he's struggling pretty good. So – and I, I can't wait to get that call. I mean, I, I really just want to jump in there and try to save this guy if I can, whatever that looks like, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. So you're still beeping
0: you're still there. But- uh, yeah, it's still, uh I don't know what's, because it just popped up because I had like applications running in the background cause I got multiple screens going. Nah. So it kicked my camera out. Oops. But I'm trying to, It wants me like to refresh the screen, but if I do that, I'll lose this whole connection and the live won't be live anymore. So I keep toggling with it and (laughs) reprogram it here real quick while we're doing this right here. But, you know, and and that's the thing, though, too, because it's going to be the moment that you soften everything up, that somebody that needs to hear something is going to lose that vital piece of information that, you know, ultimately because individual because sometimes like going into it for the wrong reasons. A lot of times, you know, hearing your story sets that aside for them. Let them know that, hey, look, you know, I joined because of this. I wanted to drive fast and chase bad guys, you know, but in the same sense, you did want to make sure that, you know, your family, your community, and things like that were safe. But, you know, what that encapsulates is what the missing piece is that so many people need to hear. That, you know, in and especially like during our last broadcast about the dog, you know, the things to where we become complacent or something that we're comfortable with, You know, it's like, oh, I can handle this. I can handle this. And that may be that moment that we're just because we're so laid back and lackadaisical because we're complacent and we're so comfortable in the situation, you know, that that can be the, you know, that day, you know, when that day comes, literally.
2: Well, you definitely have to keep your – got to keep your armor up. I get it. Trust me when I tell you, man. I mean, there were plenty of days when I just wasn't feeling it and I take a day off or what have you. Um, And it's just – you know, it's a statistical destiny for us that at some point in time, you're going to have some kind of a, you know, emotional loss, emotional breakdown, anxiety attack, whatever it is. And one of my former colleagues uh, made a really good point about a guy, I think it was Louisiana that saw a dog get hit by a car and called a shrink crying on the sidewalk. And he quickly realized that it had nothing to do with the dog. It was, you know, his 25 years of other stuff that he had seen you know and that's where he kind of broke down and lost his loss is cool at that particular time um it's, it's going to happen at some point in time and if it doesn't um you're either in denial or you haven't really faced anything you need to face and and this is and this is all my opinion of course and this is just mm-hmm. something i've learned to that i figured out for myself um and it's okay to just base those things head on if you need to if you don't then some at some point in time, it's going to come back on you, whatever that looks like. So, and if it doesn't, and you're able to freaking live a healthy life when you retire, and you don't even have to worry about it again, even better, man. If that happens, let me know how that is because I want to know how to do that. So I right. can like pass it on to the rest of the guys.
0: I know, right? Because I think I think we covered that story in the uh, in the very first broadcast when Chris Gregorio joined us. You know about that talking about the you know some guys can go through their whole career. You know, have gunfight, shoot other, you know, have to put someone down. And, you know, it could be the seeing a dog get hit by a car that does it for him. You know, it's everybody has their breaking points, and we never know what the next, you know, man or woman is actually thinking going through what their, you know, drive is or what their breaking point is. You know, so we have to know that about ourselves as well, too, going in. But we also can't go in blindly thinking that it's all sunshine and rainbows.
2: Yeah. And you know it is uh, most of the time. It probably is for most guys um, and gals too, of course. But um,
0: uh-oh. no, I'm, no, I'm, just, no I'm, I'm still here. I'm still hearing it everything. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to redo all this different. Oh, uh... okay.
2: I suddenly got big. I got scared. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a different experience for everybody. You know, some guys go. You know, like me, and they're going to be getting into shit every single day. Other guys go 20 years and never have to pull their gun out of their holster. And, and, uh, it's case by case. I mean, it depends on the agency you're at. You know, I know John, uh, he's a small agency down there in Southeast. So I don't know what kind of stuff they're going to be getting into down there. And they need to, this is something I, I think I wrote the story in the last chapter. I'm not sure. Um, talking about no matter where you are you still need to be trained and ready for whatever's going to happen you can go 20 years and never anything happens and that one time when you need to have all those skills up to up to speed and in tune because i mean like we talked about, i think the last show was uh you know you are be performing at 70 percent if you're lucky and that's what's pretty pretty consistent training you know i like to think that I was about somewhere between 80 and 85 percent of my scene and i was training to the hill but i still awesome so awesome that anything to add
1: what if you start reading
0: michael what do you think we're going to start reading Yes, sir. We should be on uh,
2: chapter eight. Chapter eight. Okay. Good call. Because obviously I'm starting to ramble now.
0: People are getting sick of that. So. Sure.
2: <laughs> <I don't laughs> oh, no,
0: like... never, they're never tired of you. I mean, because it's not like we're just rambling about nonsense. I mean, we're talking about relatable things that affects everybody that's out there right now. I mean, so. That's true. Yeah. That's true. All right. So, am I
2: reading that, or are you gonna read it for me?
1: You read. <laughs> All right. All right. That, that,
2: that, that would be kind of nice to hear the editor read for us, huh? I was going to say, yeah, come on. First time she's been here, she better do something to earn her keep, Dan. You know,
0: ultimately, ultimately, like reading her own words, you know? Exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so this is going to be uh, Chapter 8, titled Show Me Your Gun. All right. When I graduated academy, I became part of a test case. A couple of the precincts decided to train some of the newbies on first shift as opposed to the normal and much busier second shift. I was totally fine with that. I always believed that a criminal who committed crimes during the day could care less who was watching, and in some small way, that made them more dangerous. My original FTO had gone on vacation, which left me with another officer for a spell. Personally, I thought this uh, substitution had more to do with the fact that my original FTO could not take me for more than a few weeks at a time. I was a handful to train, no doubt. My new FTO was anything but new. Uh, he was a good guy, crazy as can be, and probably as old as my great, great, great grandfather's father. Uh, he did not take shit from anyone. It didn't matter if you were young, old, a cop, a brass, a chief. He did not care who you were, and everyone knew it. He was credit. He was a wealth of knowledge, and everyone knew that, too. My first experience in uh, seeing him in action included a simple shoplifter. By the time we arrived on scene as his backup, he was standing on the subject's neck, a cigarette in his primary hand, and his gun in the support hand. I'm pretty sure his exact words to the shoplifter were, I don't care if you only stole an apple. I'll blow your fucking head into the concrete if you move again. (laughs) Yeah, I kept myself squared away around him. That he was bad, and he was he was crazy. So, just early on in my career, I had not quite figured out that I was a magnet for trouble. Looking back, uh, this next call certainly could have been a sign of things to come. It was a garden variety hot call, uh, stolen buckles from a local park, yawn. No big deal, right? We were close by, and my new trainer, Mr. Take No Shit, who knew next to nothing about me, was certainly curious to see if I knew how to handle myself. Again, I had only been on for a handful of weeks. That's solo ready, right? Anyway, the little thieves were headed right for us. There were three of them. I was in the passenger seat. The chase was on. Uh, the assumed ringleader of the three took off first. The other two stopped and almost, almost immediately, uh, giving up with a deer in the headlights look in their eyes. As we drove past, my new feO out the window, stay put. Don't move. Don't go home. And don't go to eat. You can think about it, but don't do it. You guys remember you know, the old movie? You'll remember that. One. So, or something to that effect. I had to giggle a little. Um, his demeanor reminded me of Jackie Gleason, the smoking and the Bandit. Uh, Wishing you a time, we tore off after Homeboy, the bike thief who obviously knew the area well. He pedaled like mad for a quarter mile or so before uh, sneaking into a fenced area that was only big enough for a pedestrian, or in this case, a bicycle. Definitely not a patrol car. Regardless, my uh, trainer hopped the curb, which I found pretty cool. Useless, but cool. Show him your gun, he demanded as I exited the car. Being a worm shit green, no nothing booter, even I knew that pulling my gun was useless in this situation for several reasons. First of all, the kid was riding away from me, and it was a bicycle theft, not the crime of the century. Although I was brand new, fresh out of the academy and ready for anything, I decided to pull out, uh, opt out of plan A, drawing my weapon. Instead, I kept my gun holstered and gave chase to the kid on the stolen bicycle alone. Um, This chase in my career afforded me many lessons. Lesson one, criminals are stupid. Gotta love that. If you steal a bicycle from a populated city park and run from the cops on said bicycle, you are stupid. And if when you realize the cops are actually chasing you and you ditch the bike and run on foot, you're really stupid. So the kid ditched the bike and was on foot running instead of riding. I was hot on his track smiling because my chances dramatically improved of running him down. Lesson two, secure your equipment. Being young, I had not quite figured out how to carry my flashlight and sure enough, I dropped it a short way into the chase. Luckily, I found it later, despite it hitting the ground and bouncing no less than 10 yards into the street. It came away with only scratches, small trophies, battle scars for me. Um, Cops carry a lot of tools of the trade, and it takes some time to get used to having them on your body, especially when you're chasing or tussling with bad guys. Fortunately, these days, the equipment made for us is kind of job-specific, so it's built as hard-wearing as we are. Lesson three, paying attention to detail, particularly what uh, channel your portable radio is on. I chased this kid for about four blocks. When I was clearing for help, I did it on the wrong channel. Oops, that definitely went in my notes, damn it. Uh, This kid did his level best to outrun me and maybe he would have except that he tried to double back and and ended up running headlong into a patrol car. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, the officer made a wrong turn and missed him. It didn't matter because Junior stopped and turned back running right into my waiting arms. Lesson four, uh, sometimes a bad guy can lose his bladder. The kid and I struggled for control as I, uh, and as soon as he realized that I had him uh, and it was game over, he wet himself. Come on, man, I'm not that scary. It was not much fun searching the guy after that mess, but oh well. Lesson five there's joy in saying those four magic words. Along with saving the day, it is a big deal for a rookie to say to somebody he's just apprehended, You are under arrest. It means you did your job. You owned the victory in that moment. Uh, by the end of my career, I would hand over those hand over that sense of joy to the junior officer because I knew how much it meant lesson six pay attention uh, to where you are at all times Um, in this case I had no clue it was by the grace of God that I landed in front in the front yard of a corner house despite my clearing on the wrong channel earlier in the chase I radioed my location I felt an overwhelming sense of joy in getting backup officers on scene hearing the screaming sirens and screeching tires and smelling brakes burning was totally amazing this all for me it was a proud moment even if it was just a stolen bite in the end i did what i had to do to win and i did not do it without showing and i did it without showing my gun uh these were baby steps all in preparation for a long and prosperous career so that's chapter eight so lots and lots of lessons learned on that one of course you guys heard Um, so um there were so many things that happened on that particular scene. This was, you know, broad daylight. Like I said, I worked in my career mostly in days. Um, and it's really cool to be able to chase dudes down. Uh, when you're fresh out of the academy, you can run like a freaking wind, you know, and when uh, you finally go and you tackle some dude and you're like, yeah, gotcha. You, and you put the handcuffs on them and say those magic words, man. And it's like the first time ever was like such a huge deal for me. I know nobody really cares about that. I mean, the first time, it's either magical or it's like, nobody cares. Uh, for me, it was magical, especially because I was by myself and I knew that nobody knew where I was. Um, and be able, I was able to secure this guy alone it was like, yeah, this is probably not the smartest way to do this, but I did it. And then, you know, handled the business. So
0: what's what you signed up for, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a classic, you know, this is what I want to be doing. And I mean, just like, I, I mean, I think I told the story already about you know, my first major fight when, uh, you know, all I could think about at the time was I'm actually getting paid for this. I mean, who knew, right? So, I mean, that's just, that's just unbelievable. So,
0: (laughs) well, one of the things too, you know, in the lessons is that in like the securing your equipment, there's a lot of individuals, you know, going in on officers going in, you know, their tactical belt and everything else. They just kind of set it up by the book rather than what's comfortable for them. I mean, because, you know, it has to be comfortable for you. It also has to make sense that, you know if you do go into hand in hand in close quarters, that you know you're not actually giving the subject the benefit, you know what I mean? The upper hand, rather, you know. But you know, in dropping certain things, you don't know how many officers I've seen drop their sidearm, you know, and that's that should never <laughs> happen, never happen, never. Um, happened, no. I've, seen, I've seen, I've seen, I, I know, it, I know an officer personally that we we went out to lunch. And he left his fire. He left his sidearm in the stall in the bathroom. You know, and you talk talk about. I don't let. I still to this day don't let him live it down. It's great, but anyway.
2: <laughs> That's actually pretty common. That's pretty common. When did we get oh. to that part of the, uh, the the book? There's a story about that with me too, but I'm not gonna talk about it now. I'll probably deny it later, anyways. But even though it's in print, but.
0: So. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: but you're right though, because uh, securing your equipment. I I told this to my class a couple days ago. I said. You know, do you know the bad guys that really don't care about carrying weapons? You know why? And they're all looking at me like, well, that's because the cops bring all the weapons to the gun, to the fights. So um, if you don't know how to secure your, your equipment properly, bad guys know that. They'll take it away from you, you know? Um, I don't know her name, and I for, forgive me for not knowing, but there was an officer just killed uh, with her own weapon, um, like screaming for her life, and they, they freaking executed her, you know? It's like, I don't know what the circumstances were with that, but, you know, when it gets to that point um, that that's one of the worst case scenarios you can even imagine, you know? Um, so it, it just drives the point home that you need to really, really pay attention to what you have, where it is, um, how it's secured and how to, how to access it too. Of course. I mean, that's the most important thing. Um, Cause it can be a life saving or life taking kind of situation,
0: you know, so that and paying attention to details as well too, because, you know, the mannerisms of the subjects. a lot of times is going to give away because, you know, a lot of subjects, they're going to seem submissive just to get close quarters with you or any, you know, any other officer and things like that. And then, you know, the whole time they're kind of, you know, eyeballing and kind of finding out where everything's at, you know, and because they, they, they play that tactical aspect as well, too, sometimes, you know, especially when that fear factor kicks in, like knowing that they're about to go to jail or anything else like that, you know, so. They become submissive just to get that close quarters contact with somebody, and it, it puts a lot of people in jeopardy. You know, and and then a hesitation factor. You know, so many officers are not really willing to draw a firearm. You know, they think of other ways, and they they play it too long in their head about, hey, what's the best outcome for this scenario? You know, they overplay it. So I use my, you know, so I use my OC spray, and my taser, I pull my you know, sidearm, and it's just it's overplayed too much, and then you know, it's your life.
2: Well, I'll tell you the stuff that I teach uh, is a lot about um, posturing with folks. And I teach this now to this day still. I mean, I've been teaching this forever. Um, you got to really pay attention to what the bad guys are doing. You know, if the guy's, you know, he's stretching out and he's, you know, he's working his fingers and he's clenching his fists, these kinds of things. I tell him in, in really, really short terminology, that's going to be a fight. If the guy's kind of, you know, he's, Real submissive. He's kind of just looking around that he's probably going to run on you. Um, all these kinds of different things, you know, he's, he's what they call patterning. You know, he keeps reaching for the same part of his body. He's got a weapon there someplace He keeps checking it to make sure that it's still there. You know, you see this kind of stuff going on all the all the time. Um, so clearly contacting cover is a, is a huge thing with that, you know, um, making sure that as, even as a, a contact officer, you're still paying attention to all these little details but your cover officer should be watching that even more. And you're talking about close quarters. Um, I can't tell you how many times I see something getting ready to happen. And now, I mean, I'm not gonna apologize for it in policy or out of policy. If I think something's about to happen, I see the guy making a move, he's gonna get dumped. He's just gonna get dumped. And this is where um, so many people don't believe, you know, that I could transition to that kind of a violent type of person, but you know, we're talking about guys that are out there to kill you and they're taping razor blades to their licenses and all kinds of crazy shit like that. I mean, you freaking you hit a guy first hard and you put him on the ground and then you realize, OK, you know, what, well, now you and you'll know. I mean, pretty much I don't think I've ever had a, a situation where I went hands on first and was wrong because those spidey senses go off. And I always, always went with my gut, no matter what that was. Um, and if I was wrong, which. Fortunately, I mean, I could be wrong. There could be people out there going, "Yeah, I remember that one time," you know, which is entirely possible. Um, But from my memory, I don't remember ever going hands out to anybody first and not finding something that was going to be deadly to me later. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's that's like,
0: like, yeah, that's like. There's some agencies in Ohio that restrict officers from carrying a knife, right? And there's other agencies that restrict that as well too. But you know, a lot of times a knife can be that difference maker because a lot of times you can do more with a knife and protecting yourself and others and, you know, especially in close quarters and things like that as well too. So,
2: well, I had that very, very conversation all this week. And in fact, um, so dedicated to John Hobbs, uh, Phoenix PD officer, good buddy of mine from Mesa PD gave me this, uh, last year for either my birthday or for Christmas. I can't remember. And I tell my students all the time, I said, this is a tool. It's not a weapon. Okay, so when you got to testify in court that you pulled your tool out of your support side and you stabbed a guy in the neck because you couldn't get him off your gun, this is a tool I use to punch windows and to cut seatbelts. But in all reality, this is its a weapon when we got to save our life. But when we describe what it is, we got to testify against it. That's what it is, you know, and it drives me crazy that guys don't realize that. Um, uh, so just, that's this, like- this
0: is here. Got You got to... You got to- Break the windows. Got yep. the seatbelt, and you got to... And especially like this to
1: <laughs> Nobody told the, me to break my knife.
0: Yeah, you Always got. It's the. It's the. That's the best self-defense in the world, you know. Close oh, quarters.
1: No, Chris keeps buying me knives. I have like two in my purse right now.
0: I, know, I, think, <laughs> I keep getting two. I got a whole collection of them now. So it's better. It's better than anything, you know. And especially the. You know, because somebody's going to think twice about it. You know, I mean, and especially if they see their own blood, you know, you don't have to necessarily. And, you know, a lot of times I can actually take it to where something that we're, you know, if I'm drawn to use fatal force, but I'm able to utilize a knife and just kind of decapacitate them. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, because that's what you're trying to, I'm not going to say put them down. I mean, I, keep, I know like, everybody keeps giving me lash back about using that phrase, put them down. You treat them like dogs. No, it's, I mean, you got to do what you got to do to save lives, but, you uh, know, it's the, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in, uh, I believe knife defense should be, I believe that should be in every tactical belt around the nation. Like,
2: I couldn't agree more. In fact, there's world. a
0: guy, um, I've been watching a lot lately. His name's uh, Trav
2: from Fight Smart. And he's, from all the stuff that I've watched and all the, all the different uh, DT videos and all this kind of stuff, this guy, is, he's awesome. He's the best. And the stuff he talks about makes a lot of sense you know he shows you these videos of these guys doing all this great shit and he goes okay well here's what it really looks like and so i don't try to i don't try to duplicate what he teaches cuz i'm just not at that level i mean i can i can teach some guys some really really basic stuff but this guy he's like freaking lights out but he keeps it really simple for guys like us that aren't knife fighters that can say hey do this and this and this this is going to save your life and the one thing he points out all the time he goes if you're going to be confronting somebody with a knife and you're and you're in a situation where you got to close that distance, which I do des- definitely agree with, if you have to close the distance quick and you know, be forceful, uh, be prepared to get stuck or stabbed or sliced or whatever else he goes. But like I say in several of my stories, I'm like, let that fuel you, let that freaking be your rage to freaking take this guy out, whatever you need to do, you know. So,
0: well, on top of that as well too, in a in a defensive mode, you know, as as long as when you when you're holding your knife as long as you're holding it like this and you you've rested against your forearm, it becomes a defensive mechanism, you know, against anybody coming at you to where you know if you're blocking, but you have the knife right here and it's, it's a great defense, you know, and it, it'll save your life a hundred. I'm not going to say hundred percent of the time, but it's going to make a big difference. A very, very big difference. Oh, I couldn't agree so more. It's, we got to get it in. We got to add that to your, uh, training.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a big debate from some of my Marine Corps buddies about if somebody, you know, tries grabbing your firearm, is that not deadly force? I say, yes, absolutely. I've had guys say, no, no, no. Because I said, well, you got the opportunity. You put me in jeopardy and, um, your, your intent is there, you know? So clearly if you're grabbing onto my gun, I'm sure you're not going to just take it and run with it. You're going to try to use it against me. So as far as I'm concerned. Hey, you know what? We're we're at that stage now where you you've got all three elements going on there. It's time to get it on, you know. And however you can do that. If you can't do the, the drop and spin move on the guy to get him off you, you know, you got to resort to the next thing, whatever that is. So. That's one of the that's one of the main policies that I'm trying to
0: you know have rewritten because you know it's that's something that shouldn't vary by state, by I mean actually by municipality, by city, by state, by county. I don't care what it is, you know, imminent danger. You know, if somebody's grabbing for your, that's, I mean, any time that's, you know, somebody's ready to take your life, which, you know, every person's going to have a different perception of that in the first place, you know, someone's perception of, you know, them running towards you, that's imminent danger. You know, I mean, I I don't, I don't care what language anybody speaks, you know, if, if somebody means harm and they're instructed to stand down and they be beyond the words, stand down do not move is imminent danger to me right anybody that's combative after that point is imminent danger not yeah. just to myself but to any civilians that may be in the you know vicinity or anything else like that and that's how you know imminent danger should be viewed you know i know that it's you know, i want to keep making it harder and harder and harder for you know officers to abide by that but that's what's causing a lot of the different hesitation factors today that's why we're seeing the rise in violence against law enforcement and it's all because of this and you know a lot of times that the civilians when they go to the voting polls the civilian sector doesn't realize like what that's actually taking away and they think oh they they, they see certain things we've discussed this before they see education they vote yes without knowing what that's actually going to be taking away right, you know, right. or what the actual cost of it is yeah you know so it's just oh it's
2: a lot of people just have their heads buried in the sand they don't really even understand what what we do to protect them, you know what I mean, so. um, I
1: didn't, when I started editing this book, I had no idea, you know, I had a respect for the police and I kind of had a, you know, you, you go to the movies and you think that's what it is, you know but it's not anything like that. And you don't really realize the impact that all of that has on one individual, you know so I think that we don't know. And I think that's why, again, these conversations are important to, to bring that to light.
0: And, you know, and especially in going over the, the whole reason why the title of chapter eight is Show Him Your Gun. Because, you know, a lot of times, and especially in today's culture, you know, we don't have to take it to that level of where, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier in regards to the mediation aspect of everything. You know, sometimes we can just kind of get people back down to that, that level, the clear headedness or just being able to talk things through to where if the first thing that we do is pull sidearm and show them our gun you know they're, they're going to be defensive themselves as well too you know just if they were pointing a, you know firearm at us you know so a lot of times you know making that call comes the decision to say hey you know what i'm gonna i'm catching <laughs> so, you know he's a, and then like like you said you know his back was already to you you know what what's drawing your firearm going to do unless because you know we all know that firearms drawn you know our intent is to use if have to be and it's you going to be trying to shoot bicycle tires. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's I know I'm not that good of a shot anyway, so that would have never worked. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been, have you been
0: past uh, fifteen yards
2: yet? Uh, not really, no. Um, yeah, I – yeah, I'm not even talking about that. So <laughs> I actually uh, I was at the range a couple weeks ago, and I was I was actually doing pretty good. I was pretty impressed with myself because I it's not like it used to be where I was under pressure to make sure I qualled, which of course we all know is like the bottom of the barrel, super basic. All you gotta do is get through the AQ every year, or whatever it is. Um, and for me, I trained a lot anyways, but I, I'll be the first to admit that when I got my rifle, my handgun skills just freaking just plummeted. They did. Cause I spent all my time with that rifle and on some level really smart. Cause that was my primary go-to, but at the same time, it was really stupid of me to not keep up my proficiency with the handgun because, even though my rifle never failed in all the tens of thousands of rounds I put to that thing, never had one jam ever, not one ever. The entire time I had it, which is good. Um, but you still need to keep up proficiency on that kind of stuff. And that thing was just so sexy. I'm like, I don't want to play with anything else except for the rifle. So I did, you know? Um, so to answer your question, no, I never, never did that well. Although when I'm, when I'm not under pressure to qualify, I do a lot better you know, uh, I can slow down, take my time, these kinds of things that you're supposed to do, but I'm not, I'm just not that guy. I can't slow down. Natalie knows this. I'm one of those, you know, freaking lights out. just put as many rounds down range as I can before I get killed. Kind of a thing. So,
0: did you ever use the cat toy on the
2: firearm? Yeah, I, I wrote about that. Um, that was a rifle thing when I couldn't, I couldn't shoot, but I got into range and no, so, I, mean, I know it was
0: with the rifle. Did you ever use
2: that on the, the side on the handgun? No, I never did. Um, I probably could have, um, but I was, so, I was just so attached to that freaking long gun. And that was all I ever cared about at that point in time. So it uh, probably wouldn't smart for me to do that, but um, but no. So, <laughs> But uh, go back to your point just a little bit about um, you know, some of these restrictions that we have. I know a lot of agencies now are making you do what they call like a blue team or some whatever minor report every time you pull your firearm. Now what is that telling our guys our officers out there on the street you know well if I pull my gun then right there you're dead if I pull my gun no you don't need to be thinking about what you're gonna be doing after the fact you need to be thinking about what's going on right now um, not and I had just had a huge falling out with all my bosses years ago where I told him I said man you're, you're making me hesitate on the street gonna cost me my life I said let me do what I do and I'll come back with the numbers that you need properly and safely but if I start questioning all the shit that's going on, you know, I'm, I'm already behind the curve as it is. I don't need to be any more behind the curve by questioning what I can and can't do if I'm either going to get in trouble or if I got to write paper. It's like, no, can't, can't do that shit, man. So,
0: hundred percent, you know, then, then you gotta, and especially, I mean, then the report's going to be two extra pages explaining why you didn't do this, you know, explaining why, you know, superior number one said, for me to uh, think this through before I did this anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and next thing you know, you got some freaking, you got a couple of officers knocking on your spouse's door going, well, he didn't pull his gun because he wanted to write paper, now he's dead, you know. I'll opt for fucking plan A and go, if I got to take the guy out, hey, you know what, if I got to write paper, you know, so be it. I don't really care, you know. Um, But talk. one of those things I talk about in my presentation, I stole it, of course, from somebody else, is that, You know, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die in a pile of brass on my feet, not cowered down behind a freaking behind a block wall someplace because I'm too scared to take care of business, you know, or not fearful of taking care of myself. But I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I do something out of policy or my boss doesn't like me or whatever it is. You know, these are the things we can't be worried about. You know, I'm not in a critical incident anyways. So you've seen them
1: a lot more of it though lately a lot of hesitation we just saw a video just the other day of a cop hesitating to pull his gun
0: yeah and it's you know and chris and i even spoke about you know the guy that was like you know that told you i know i'll never draw my firearm it's like why are you even joining the force you know i mean because i mean something like i don't don't want somebody as a partner that's not gonna you know because if if we're having a firefight and you know, he's sitting in the patrol car, you know, where he could be backing me you, you can't have I mean you mm-hmm. and that and that's why the the shock value has to be driven in and driven in and driven in. I mean it's you don't want to scare people away, but in the same sense, you do. Because the ones that get scared away are gonna be the ones that shouldn't be by your side in the first fucking place. Right. Yeah. I, I, mean, I hate saying it I hate saying it like that, but that's the reality of it. Because, you know, if somebody's going to sit there and say, well, I don't know if I could do this in this situation, you know, kind of like what we spoke about, you know, during the last broadcast, you know, well, I love dogs. I don't, I don't think I could ever make a decision to, you know, put one down. What if it's taking your life and sometimes just that little hesitation where, you know, once it has your throat, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. You right. know, same, same thing with the subject, you know, once they, you know, not, not all subjects are just going to lay down, you know
2: yeah i mean sometimes they do sometimes they don't and you got to be ready for either side you know whatever that happens to be and um that's why i you know i was strike first kind of a guy you know it's like well i'm not gonna take a chance on getting my ass kicked because i know i don't have all these superman skills and john wick and all this great stuff that i gotta just take care of business quickly and and violently and efficiently as much as i can
0: you know so if, uh, that, if, that, that if, guy if. has one hell of a body count don't he hold john wick <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was, it was Shakespeare who said, discretion is the greater part of valor. And I think that that's a greater part of this job too, is discretion.
2: Which is absolutely true. The unfortunate part is that, um, as you well know, my my last boss took a lot of that away from me, took a lot of that away from me, you know, and I struggled with that for a long, long, long time. Um, and the, the truth of the matter was that there was a, uh, a lack of respect in the middle and then it turned into a... Uh, like a personal war almost where it's like, you know, for whatever the reasons were, you know, I don't know if it was because of what I did or because I didn't, I didn't project enough strength back toward him or whatever. He took advantage of it, saw the, you know, saw the blood, in the water and attacked or whatever it was. But I got to the point where I kind of felt like I couldn't do anything. I mean, it was that, that bad decision bug. Everything I did was wrong. You know what I mean? And it was like, well, You know, in a critical incident out on the street, that's got to be the very last thing you're thinking about. You can't be thinking about all this other stuff. You got to think about, you know, you're going home tonight to your loved ones, you know. So I keep harping on the same thing over and over again. But this is very common with us right now, especially with the media and how people are beating us up. And, you know, that poor kid with that one video, I know he's probably getting all kinds of shit for that. He'll probably end up quitting, you know, Um, because he, I mean, truth be told, I wasn't there i don't know the circumstances before during and after kind of a thing but he he did not do what he was supposed to do he should have taken that guy out He's flat out and he didn't and i don't know why and i'm not oh. going to question
0: why he did or didn't but um hard to know i mean it's you know in the, the scrutiny does you know play a, a large role you know a good 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 great friend of mine you know he was with the force for 12 years and he had of all his arrests, there was an 87 percent in over 11 years, 87 percent conviction rate of all subjects he apprehended were convicted. Eighty seven percent in 11 years, you know, and but through that 11 years, it was that same thing. His superiors were always like, oh, you should have handled this differently. You should have handled this differently. And and that's why, you know, ultimately he retired early was because he just couldn't take the, you know, the, the lash back on. You know, you, let me do my fucking job. You know, I mean, I earned my shield. I earned, you know, it's the let me do my job. You know, ultimately, you know, he retired early and everything else. But not because, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier about the you know, the guy seeing the dog get hit by a car. You know, sometimes it's just that mental compression of, you know, the superiors. And especially now, today, when it's just, you know, test taking abilities. And they haven't been out there doing it. but They're going to tell you how to do it. And it's right. like, you know, they haven't yeah. even seen the streets, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway.
2: I love that. I mean, I, I've got so many of my bosses, you know, that were telling me how I supposed to conduct myself. You know, I'm like, look, you know, I'm, I'm not you. I don't do it that way, you know, and whatever else. And not that I had any lack of respect for him, but you know, you do it your way, let me do it my way kind of a thing. And you know, the thing is, I mean, again, a lot of stuff I'm talking about here is from my side of the fence I'm retired and I've already done all my shit. I don't, I'm not facing any of the badness anymore. Um, But I always kind of felt like I had a way out, Um, some kind of an option where I could just take time off or I could change, go someplace else or whatever else it is. And if you have that option, when you realize that things are just not going the way you want, just transfer to someplace else if you can or take some time off if you can, if you can't do that, you know, start doing some major serious soul searching. And I, I may have touched on this the last time. I can't remember, but, um, my buddy that says that he won't ever pull his gun again, you know, I told him, I said, Hey man, you know, do yourself a favor, do me a favor because you know, I love you go back and read your oath of office and remember why you got into this job to begin with. And, you know, if that doesn't, doesn't spark something with you, you should probably start looking for something else, you know, and that's, that's, you know, that's a little freaking left field. I get it. You know, it's like, yeah. well, again, you're not here. You don't know what I'm going through kind of shit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But guess what? Um, if you put on that badge and gun and a vest, you're going through shit. And that one person out there has not been in your shoes. Okay, so um, it's nothing new. We've all been through it before. Um, not to downplay by any stretch of the imagination, but um, if you want to get well, go get well. If you don't, if you want to sit on the sidelines and just, you know, be a victim, okay, and then that's where you're gonna. That's where you're gonna stay. You need to, either you know, fight for yourself or move on to something else my opinion so
0: i mean that's that's 100 percent. you know and especially with the oath of office you know it's the same thing with the the boxes being checked on you know the applications on the initial intake and everything else to where yeah I'm, you know I, I will make this decision i'll make this decision you know psyche value and everything you know some just go with it and say the things they don't take it as a true oath you know a lot of people are just taking the the steps to get through because they know it's with a requirement for me to be able to go out there and do what I want to go try to do or do it because the perception I have of what this job is going to provide me, you know? So, you know, a lot of individuals really don't even know the oath, you know, (laughs) ask some veterans what their oath is, you know, it's going to be like, Oh, right. uh, Right, Exactly. (laughs) exactly. And I,
2: I'm, I'm very much of the opinion, you know, and this is why I think Natalie loves the book so much is that if you're not doing it from the heart, if you're doing this because you want the money or you want the, the accolades or whatever else you're in the wrong business. If you do it from the heart, um, all that shit's going to work out. In my opinion, again, you know, that's what, you know, from the second I made the decision to go into law enforcement community as a first generation, I knew it was just going to be the greatest thing in the world. And despite all the tragedies and all the traumas and all the bad shit, I was, I was 100% right, you know, and now having survived all the shit that I survived, not only professionally, but personally, um, now I can have these kinds of conversations and I was I'm still right. I still believe that everything that I went through was for an absolute purpose to you know make myself stronger and, and better and whatever else and now to help you I mean, just like that point zero one percent if I hope just one dude dude I've I've lived all that stuff for a reason you know what I mean so but that's the most
0: important aspect as well too you know it's the one of my one of my favorite movies is Goodwill Hunting Robin no. Williams and Matt Damon. And, you know, when they're sitting around that pond, you know, and Robin Williams tells him, he says, you know, I, I'm not going to know anything unless I know you, you know, that I can't read in a fucking book, you know, Mark Twain or something like that. But it's the, you know, w- without that real life experience, going back to the the test taking for the supervisors and things like that. But it's, it's that real life to where, you know, unless somebody can be real with themselves as far as, you know, why they're joining any first responder career, you know, of what that is for and really upholding, you know, remembering the oath to themselves let alone oath to office you know it, it, it'll carry them a long way and it's 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 vital and i mean it's what you've been through you know having that experience that's why this you know it's a a, a read-along ride along you know <laughs> because it, it, it's the and it, I'm, I'm telling you that the sequencing and everything else it's it's genius because it's the it didn't just go right when you're in the career and things like that it's the hey this is my decisions of why i'm going in this is what it was like in the beginning you know and, and especially you know how we touched you know on the past broadcasts you know in regard to you know how attentive you were to what others were saying around you about the, the rookie and you know how they just kind of like you know new guy and all this stuff you know it's just a, it, it plays a large mind fuck on somebody because it's it's not something that they perceived you know and Others need to be aware that that actually that happens, and you know the vulnerabilities being exposed as well enhances you know someone else being able to expose their own vulnerabilities, and especially when it's so hard to when you when you have administration superiors of ours, you know lashing at us about decisions we made on a you know a subject we just apprehended, and I did that wrong, and I know that I did it by the book. But now I'm supposed to come to you if I feel that I can't handle, you know, the last call that I just took. Mm-hmm. So I restrict that. I bottle that in. I go home. I don't tell my wife or anybody else about it. I'm just this, you know, laid back beach guy. You know, everything's just fine. You know, but it's the, the you know, knowing somebody else is there is like always going to be the strongest to do that. You know I mean? Cause it's the, so many people carry so many ways and, you know, without saying, Hey, I've done this. And like you said, I mean, you're, you're going to have, you know the the hard heads in there that oh yeah right man that shit doesn't really happen and it's okay you know? right.
1: that's what i loved you'll be, about this book. you'll be able to
0: troll your life
1: <laughs> i know that's what i loved about this book was that the honesty you know he was so honest about you know just certain parts that that most thing i think would would not say you know, just even the chapter where he did—he dropped his gun, and he was—you know—he has a good sense of humor. <laughs> he has a good sense of humor about, you know, himself. He's able to laugh at himself. Um, he's able to be honest about the job and himself, you know, in in the uniform. Um, and I just—I think that's what I loved most—is just the honesty of it, and it didn't res—it resonated with me, but not because I was ever in law enforcement, but it just resonated me as, as a person, you know, it was just really well done.
0: You know, and, and with, I mean, and that's, I'm glad you just said that because realistically the training for the fight can never be done without understanding and admitting our own fallibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we all have our faults, we all make mistakes, but it's in recognizing those mistakes. And like, you know, Chris says it time and time again where, you know, he's, live the mistakes. He's admitted yeah. the mistakes. He, yeah. You know, oh, he, he that's, may joke about it, things like that, but it's so that you don't have to I, make this mistake. I think,
1: I think that's the smartest thing you can do, is own up to your mistakes right away and just move on. Um, I think to just, you know, a lot of the the court of, high court of public opinion has, you know, act as if they've never made mistakes in their lives and their jobs or whatever, but they're so eager to point fingers at police officers. But we're all human. We all make mistakes. And I think the the easiest, fastest way to get over them is just to own up to them. And, and by Chris writing this book to me was so brave. I mean, I asked him the other day because I'm getting ready to put my book out and I'm so nervous about it's like wearing your heart on your sleeve. You're putting yourself out there. Um, and he never showed any nerves. He was very um, steadfast in in getting this book out there and very brave. And I think that that says a lot about him, um, you know, as an officer, a retired officer, as a as a human being, he's just really his heart is in giving back and, and doing good for the law enforcement community. So I think that's brave um, to be able to do that in such a public way. I
2: don't, was, I don't think that was it. I mean, and, just for the record, you know, I'm a sure thing, so don't worry about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, because, I mean, it sounds bad, and I've been told not to do this anymore, and I try not to, to downplay my abilities and whatever else. But um, for a kid of my background, to be able to, uh, you know, just to be able to achieve that goal and be getting hired on, it was a pretty big deal for me. Because um, I see a lot of these other guys, and I, I wrote about it early on in the book talking about these guys that are veterans and these kind of people that they've really deserved that spot where I kind of felt like I was, you know, I kind of snuck in the back door and just got lucky and took it full blown. I mean, I took full advantage of that whole thing throughout my entire career. Um, slowed down once in like 2010 for a couple of months when I started losing the heart for it. But then when I figured out my passion, I got back into it. I never slowed down again until I had, I was forced into slowing down. Um, so I think having that uh, that opportunity that so many guys, and I know this, that's, I mean, I've got so many of my friends that um, aren't able to join the force for whatever their reasons are. Um, background doesn't come through, or they, they give up, or they've got a medical reason or whatever else. So Every single day I'm out there wearing that badge, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually able to do this job. And, you know, of course, get paid for it. That didn't hurt either, but uh, just to had that pride and walking around going, yeah, I don't know, look at me kind of a thing. And that was huge for me. I mean, everything else that kind of came with it was, was, uh, you know, it was definitely worthwhile and purposeful, but, uh, for me, it was just like, wow, I can't believe I'm actually able to, you guys, you guys, you guys hired me. Shit. Okay, cool. Thanks.
0: So. Yeah. Well, I mean, on top of that though, too, I mean, your decision, just like so many other officers though, solidifies, you know why you joined in the first place you know that true calling you mm-hmm. know when, when, you, when you see officers that retire officers that step out but yet they still continue to give back that's be, that, that's when you can really see that you know that's why you know it's i don't want to start getting into fate and everything else too but you know that's why you deserved you know, that chance.
1: And this, it, guys. Wasn't, it wasn't luck. This guy has over 700 commendations. He has a couple of medals. I mean, it's just something that you're called to do. That's not something everybody is called to do. So it had nothing to do with luck.
2: I don't know. Maybe I was, could have been timing, you know, right time, right place, you know, like you and I. So. <laughs> the chief, the chief needed his carpet done. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> <laughs> what it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so who knows I mean and you gotta you gotta soul search I mean I knew my reasons why you know I wanted to go into the the thing but I truly I had no idea what I was getting myself into I really really didn't I swear I swear I thought it was just gonna be chasing bad guys and kicking in doors and all this fun shit you know I had no idea the the realities of it you know and the the big joke now of course is that you know I can never write a police report in 20 years but I could write a book you know, I never thought about having to write reports. I'm like, who does that shit? It's like lethal weapon, man. You freaking get into a shooting, you go back the next day, you, you know, you drink beer with your buddies, and then you go back into service, right? I mean, what I don't have a
0: secretary that writes reports. <laughs> <laughs> that, right? yeah.
2: oh, um, but, you know, what What I love about the, the entire idea of being an officer in the law enforcement community, of course, was that it was unbelievably so well-rounded. I mean, so many different aspects of life in general. Um and not talking about just the training part. I mean, you do learn how to how to drive fast, and you learn how to type, and talk to people, and just be aware of your surroundings, and all these kinds of things. But it was even deeper than that, where you know you you just learn how to live. You know what I mean? You learn how what real life looks like. And for me, that was that was huge. I mean, that was really huge. So
0: just the, watch what they do and do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <so>. Mostly, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I mean, how much, how much, I'm not going to say more did you grow to like, you know, love what you did through the course of time? You know, because I mean, I know that what you signed up for, but, you know, how long did it take before it was just like, like you just said, you know, actually seeing how much life it exposes you to, were you able to grasp that? Oh, man, I would say...
2: I'm going to say probably that first knockdown, drag out pursuit slash fight that I got into. Um, when I realized that, I mean, cause that thing, there were so many moving parts on that whole situation where, you know, we are putting the public in danger. That's a huge part of it. And then what bad guys are willing to do to get away was a huge part of it. And when I get on the radio, I'm screaming for help. The support that I got from three different agencies in three different cities, um, that was a huge part of it and then my um i talk about mental physical and emotional preparedness but you know one thing i didn't touch on that much but just a little bit was that willingness too, um especially the physical willingness to where i've got to be willing to freaking put myself out there and and fight this guy until he's subdued really and that and that was huge as well and then you get done and then you realize that shit, now we got to clean this mess up, you know, and that took two days to clean this whole disaster up, and, you know, I'm getting calls. I actually, that was my very first time I got a a letter of commendation from a chief, and it was actually Ohio, as a matter of fact, speaking of. Um, He wrote me a letter of commendation going, I don't know how you guys found this dude. We've been looking for him for, like, two years. You took him out and the whole thing. It was great, you know, and um, thanked us for the whole thing, and I was like, wow. So, you know, I mean, getting those kinds of, Accolades, even though we never got into it for that, was actually really nice as well. It's like, wow, I just did my job, I got paid for it, and I came out unscathed, and now I'm getting recognized for it, which was like, know that happened, you know, so but uh, so it, it didn't take me very long to get to that point where I realized that you know this is real life, and of course, the first time somebody tried to truly kill me, you know, um, then I realized that you know i mean it it was like that i mean just like that how quickly i could have just not been here anymore um i think that's when i started to have a little bit more appreciation for life not getting too sappy on that whole topic but
1: um, he's a big sap <laughs> i am i
2: am a sucker too but
1: he's a very um, big sap
2: <laughs> but you know and then you you go to your first funeral and then you realize that you know wow this this stuff actually does happen out here um And then you go to your 17th, whatever, funeral or 16th or whatever it is, and then you see an officer get killed pretty much in front of you. That changes your entire outlook on life across the board. I mean, totally across the board. I can't Um, even imagine that.
0: I mean, I can't even pretend to imagine that, you know. But, you know, one of the things, though, too, is that, you know, they tell us not to personalize anything when we're out there. But, you know, then when you, you, you attend a funeral, I mean, you can't help but pay attention to the family of the fallen brother or sister, right. and it's just, then you start to personalize that. That you know, hey, if that's me, and I mean, we start affecting of like, oh, hey, how's my family gonna you know, accept the fact that you know that's me laying in that? You know, but anyway, it's yeah.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, man, that was the that was the second part of, you know, my coming to life realization. I guess was a Mark Atkinson's funeral because I never really thought about it. I never really got emotional about much at that point in time never really had any reason to except for my academy thing where I almost got fired, but that's you know whatever um, but when they uh when they played his favorite song over the p a dude I mean for the first time ever out of nowhere I just started fucking bawling I'm like what what just happened here? Uh, I don't think we've read that story yet um but when that happened, that's when I realized I'm like wow i'm I'm part of something huge, I mean really freaking huge you know there were so many people in that in that church they were literally. I mean, some of the really bigger churches are, are clearly huge, but this one was kind of small. And there were people from blocks, you know, that couldn't even come close to getting inside that thing. And I felt like, wow, I'm honored to actually be sitting inside one of the pews inside the thing here, you know, because so many people wanted to be there and couldn't, you know. So, you know, so.
1: Chris, Chris took me to the scene where David Glasser was killed a couple of times. And that that feeling to me was palpable. I mean, I had no idea what it felt like to be there at the gunfight, but just being on that scene and standing on that, what Chris calls sacred ground was just, it was palpable. It was crazy. The second time we went there, it was really weird. It was a really windy day. And we were standing um, right above the pavement where Dave fell. And there were rose petals that had blown off of a bush and we were just sitting still on that spot and it was a really windy day, right? It weren't really. Awesome.
0: Warm. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it, it's real. Well, it, well, and that goes into like with this chapter as well, too, about the, you know, being aware of your surroundings and things like that, too. You know, because, you know, on that day, you know, as you ex- explained time over and again, Chris, about how that's just a cookie cutter neighborhood. I'm sure, sort of like, Natalie, now that you've actually, you know, gone back to that scene, you can see how, you know, like, wow. I'm, I'm sure you were kind of like thrown back, like, something like that happened in this kind of like neighborhood where it's the you just never know
1: it's
2: Mm -mm. yeah when i went back there for the first time you know i remembered leaving there the day of and it was huge just just this huge massive scene And i went back there the first time a week or so later it was tiny i mean it it looked nothing like i remembered
1: it's like clearly i I remembered where it was oh no skinny street (laughs) yeah yeah and not
2: not at all what i thought it was you know um and now we go back there i just you know i say some prayers and stuff like that and just kind of remember um, these kinds of things and i don't go back there anymore to investigate because that's what i did for the first probably half a dozen times i went there um just to try to put it back together in my mind i i don't do it that way anymore now it's just to kind of go there and just be you know kind of more of a memorial if anything else you know and uh I did write a long chapter about that as well, about going back to the scene and how it affects you. And, you know, if you're forced to go back to a scene uh, before you've cleared it out of your mind, these kinds of things and how you should do it, you know, everything based on just how I dealt with it. You know, Um, my first real shooting back in 2000, I went back to that scene and uh, found a, a basically a piece of wood cut out of a heart or a heart cut a piece of wood and uh, hung it on the wall. And uh, just went back there and just kind of remembered, you know, it wasn't because I took a life. it's because I survived, you know, and that was huge for me. And I think stayed up there for like 10 years before I think it finally either broke or something happened to it. But uh, I put it like 10 feet up on the wall on purpose. I had a hug, like a really big ladder so nobody can go up there and just grab it, you know. And actually, the lady actually owned the store. Uh, it was her car that the, that the bad guy was in. So we actually both rode a little freaking thing on the on the front of it. I signed it with my serial number and whatever else. And then she signed it with her name and he wrote a little prayer. I told
1: he was sappy.
2: <laughs> yeah. These, these are those weird things that you don't ever, think that ever you're ever going to do. You're like, okay, you know, all right. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I these, there's more. more. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta go back and somehow for me, you gotta make that mark, you know, whatever it is. So, uh, in fact, um, uh, so for me, cause I'm a big, um, um, 144-1 King David Psalm. Um, Nat actually got that exact same Psalm for the back of my uh, back of my handgun, so now that Psalm is right there where I can see it whenever I'm shooting my gun. i got to figure <laughs> out where I'm going to put this patch. I don't know where I'm going to put this patch yet. So but, uh, um, Holster. Did I, ever, did I ever explain that to you, what that means? Put well, don't it, though. You, you asking, asking me? me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-mm. The 144 one. No. Uh, okay. Well, um, I think we got time. If you want to hear the story really quick. Of course. I don't tell it nearly as good as my neighbor downstairs does. Um, he came up one time, and was asking to me uh, some questions about whatever, helping move a couch or what, what have you. And I don't know if you guys can see it. Let me see if I can. Uh... So that's my my poster from Dave Grossman that I got back in 2017 up in Colorado. On the bottom bar very bottom right hand corner dave writes the psalm 144-1 on the poster like okay cool i never really thought much about it um my neighbor downstairs who's a a bible encyclopedia this guy's read (laughs) as far as i know he's read like nine uh like front to back and he's he knows everything there is to know super cool so he comes upstairs and he goes hey did you recognize the correlation between the king david psalm and david glasser and i'm like oh i have no idea what you're talking about so he goes on to tell me, he goes, well, so you understand the King David Psalm, I'll read it for you guys. But for the ones that don't know, i got to put my, my cool glasses on. Uh, actually, I guess I can see it. Uh, so it's uh, blessed be God, my rock who trains my hands for battle, uh, my fingers for war, King David. So he says, you know how long it took to make the heavens and the earth? I said, yeah, seven days. He goes, okay, so you got 144-1. He goes, so seven plus one is... Eight of course, and what's Dave Glasser's serial number? 8144. And dude, I heard that and I just fucking lost it. I started bawling. I'm like, oh my God, this whole time, you know, I never put it together. And does it does not really mean a whole lot? Not really in, in, in real world terms, but when you go through a critical incident like that, when you when you start recognizing these spirits, and he wild, sided what? himself
0: with that. That's <laughs> oh it's he's that's intense. intense. You yeah, know, yeah, that's sure. really it's, intense. It's, uh, <laughs>
2: Every time I tell that story, I get chills. I'm like, "Oh my God!" Just you know, it's just unbelievable. So, and if you if you knew Dave, um, Dave was super spiritual that way. He was he was absolutely ready to give up his life. And how do you get to that point? I still don't really understand it, you know. And then when you hear those kinds of stories, you you can't deny it, even if you wanted to. It's like, okay, you may or may not believe it, but you can't deny it. I mean, there's right. just no way. So, but thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite stories that I just learned. That was um, right when I moved in here in um, San Diego a couple of years ago. And now I, I try to relay that whenever I can for, for folks that, that kind of get it. I don't get super spiritual people because, you know, it gets people uncomfortable. But that's one of those ones. That's just my favorite thing. And I'm like, oh, my God. I called Dave's mom. I'm like, you're never going to believe this, you know. You're one of them Bible thumpers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which I never had been. My mom, she's kind of that way. And she's tried to force that on me and stuff. And I'm like, no, you know, but. You know, it's one of the things at times, really so,
0: you know, I mean, it's the, the whole sea aspect of it, too. And, like, you know, when we actually have those moments in life where we can sit back and look at things of how things really came together and how the pieces of life itself is like pieces together. And you start seeing the transition of everything, the things that have been right there in front of you the whole time. And you okay. just never really paid attention to that one thing. Kind of going back to the whole Die Hard movie. I've, I've watched it, you know, a hundred times over and it's just like never paid attention like to such a small spot. It's like, yeah, everyone's right there. You know, that was my calling. (laughs) Yeah. So. And,
2: you know, that's that's what I've learned. Nat and I talk about this pretty much every day about stuff that, you know, it's all there. And you may or may not know it. But if you see something small and then you recognize it and you pay attention to it, um, maybe even take it to, like, what I'm doing with this one. Not to the point of exploiting it, but definitely... Um, educating people and letting them know, hey, these are these are the things that are all around us all the time. So I'm going to let her tell the story about her mom on the beach. The night we walked back from our favorite pizza joint, so <laughs> one of the greatest stories ever. Too, I mean, yeah, it's, it's very yeah. long in the lines of Dave. So
1: I lost my mother five years ago to cancer, and Sorry, she gonna. and I, she and I, started the Love Note movement. And so Chris and I were coming back. We were walking down the beach from our pa- favorite pizza joint. It was a couple mile walk. And we were on the beach. It was dark. The moon was out. Stars were out. It was just beautiful. But we were walking hand in hand, didn't say two words to each other. We were just enjoying the moment. And I just got to thinking, I really had wished that my mother had left me another note, one last note before she left. I really thought when I cleaned out her bedroom that I would find one tucked away in a jewelry box or under her pillow or something. Never found a note. So I, I just mentioned it to him. I said, I really wish my mom had left me one last love note. And um, we were walking and I kind of started feeling a little emotional. So I kind of walked away towards the water and he continued walking along the shore. And not 50 yards later, he says, Nat, come here. And he gets out his flashlight because he carries his flashlight and it's with his knife. And um, he's shining it down at, the, at his feet and i walk up and in the sand is written the word the word hope is written and a heart with outlined in rocks and the peace sign outlined in rocks well my mother's name was hope so literally what 3 minutes after i asked said that out loud that i'd wish my mother left me a note i really just Wanted that, and then there it was—her name in the sand. So I just literally started crying, and and so I believe in the signs. I believe if you are aware and open to them, you'll you'll see them.
0: I do as I, I do as well. I, I believe in speaking things into existence as well, too. Yes, you, know, they, yes. you speak positive things and things, and you 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 make things happen with words. You know, mm-hmm. and it's the it's things. that I don't want to start because I I could go on for days. <laughs> about the, the things with faith and things like that, though, you know. I mean, it's the, oh, thats like a lot
1: about—that's a lot about what my book is about: is just having faith and and looking for, looking for the positive things in your life, and I, I can't help but believe that you find them when you're looking for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just a, and and here's an example, just to kind of put it in perspective that everybody can relate to. So you know, when Jesus said that, you know, you say to this mountain, move. Here, that mountain move, as long as you have the faith of a mustard seed okay
1: (laughs) well
0: well, everybody listening watching or whatever the case may be today or in the future if i want you to think about this and relate this to faith and this shows you how little faith today's society us as people have today if you told a bottle or anything that's in front of you if you just said in your mind i know that this thing's going to move as soon as that thing moved a millimeter your mind all of a sudden like oh my god i can't believe that just happened which <laughs> shows what no faith
1: right true exactly. faith
0: would have meant that you knew it was going to move and it goes from here to there but us in our minds and how i'm not going to say simple-minded but you know we we only use you know a portion of our 10 like percent of our brain anyway but you know if, if we really did that you know, and that's, what I, that's what I'm talking about, about speaking things into existence. If you know, hey, this is going to happen, this is what I want to have, This is,
1: yeah, it's going to be ask, there. You, you know, ask so. for it and you believe for it, you yeah, know? A, I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's just how I sort of live my life. And a, a lot of what you just said is um, what I've written in my book. Because I, I feel like having gone through what I did with my mother and remained faithful, which was not always easy. It was hard. There were really hard days. Um and to see my life now, how far I've come. I met this great guy. You know, I, he, he, I helped him with this amazing book. And I'm sitting here with you guys today. And, you know, I have this crazy network of people, a community um, around me. Um, only because mm-hmm. I kept, I did, I had faith, just this, I swear, just the size of a mustard seed. It was not mm-hmm. a lot. It was just a little bit, just enough to get me here. It, it
0: was well worth it.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, looking back, it was so hard, but, um, I don't know how I would have survived her without that sense of faith and that mentality. I just don't, I don't know where I'd be.
0: You know, people always question, how could a good God allow all this evil? How could you measure good without, how could you measure love without hate? How could you measure good without evil? You know, you have to have a contrast. You can't have, you can't have light without the darkness to shine the light. You know I mean? It's the, you can't have one without the other, they yeah. go hand in hand i
1: mean and that's one of, that's one of the things especially now right now with you know the pandemic and you see all this fear and people are just so afraid but you know we have a lot there's a lot going on in the world but i'm not seeing a lot of faith right now i mean i just on not on the media anyway but people are angry they're they're sh- throwing fits and having tantrums because you're not wearing a mask you're vaccinated you're not vaccinated I'm not seeing a sense of faith in people, you know, and
0: well, it's a, it's a, well it's actually a it's actually a, a strategy of war. So, you know, years and years and years ago, Robert Greene wrote 48 laws of power and he also wrote a book, you know, he was mostly known for 48 laws of power. But one of the greatest books I've ever read was 33 uh the strate- 33 strategies of war by Robert Greene. And that's a strategy of war where you invoke fear into the because it's easy to control someone that's scared. You know what I mean? You can divert them this way, that way, and others. And, you know, people aren't thinking for themselves. They're putting their faiths into wrongful, you know, decision makers and things. It's just, I don't want to start going into all of this, you know, again, because I have so many different things about that as well, too. But it's the, you know, I don't look at things. I look at things for what they are, not what they're said to be. or anything. That's like this whole broadcast that I do, truth, the reality of the headline. You know, anybody can preach that they're about one thing, but what's really going on? You know, and that's why I love that. You know, Chris is my most featured guest here. I'm going through this right here because it is the reality of it all. You know, it's the people just get so fog-minded and they put people against one another that they lose faith. And all my, and it's the you know, the more you lose, a lot of times, and and that's why they always say that. You know, it, it actually tests your faith. Where take this away take this Well, could you imagine losing the closest thing you have to you would you still believe then oh well, yes i would you know look at job job's actually the oldest book in the bible and it's for a very good reason that you know it's the he was tested you know everything up to his life you know but what is his life was it all the containments of that the people around him his farm his home and everything else or is his life you know him cherishing himself you know so but anything like can walk forever. Yeah. I love that. It's easier said than
2: done. I mean, we all have been through our struggles and how you come out the other side is going to be dependent on, you know, you, a lot of your attitude, and, um, what you believe. And again, my, my big push these days is if you want to be okay, you'll be okay. If you don't, then go ahead and sit on the sidelines, you know, the rest of us are going to stay in the fight and get in the game and, and live, you know, that's what I, I spent over two decades, um, surviving, not living, you know, and that was because of a failed relationship, you know, um, it, it just sucked. So my my living was pretty much on the street doing doing cop shit. But my surviving was being at home with somebody that I didn't really get along with very well. You know, I was like, ah, OK, well, you know, look at me now. We cow, who knew. So, I mean, yeah. the- Well,
0: it's the same thing with like the, you know, the St. Michael, you know, I mean, almost every law enforcement agency across the nation you know, it's thrown at them about the, you know, the the guardian Saint Michael, but it's like nobody looks at it as a faith thing or like you know. But later on, when it actually starts hitting home, it starts, oh hey, you know, this whole it starts making sense, and you know, yeah. well You you have the blind people that are, you know have stupid things to say, but those are the people I love talking to though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So. Well, what do you guys think, man? It's getting. Uh... Getting close to my bedtime, at eight o'clock here.
0: You know, on the West Coast. So. I'm I'm at eleven thirty, man. Eleven thirty. Sh- no, I'm at ten thirty. I'm at ten thirty. Why? I'll be up for another couple hours. Yeah. Then I'll be back up at three a.m. Really? Wow. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm sure her and I are gonna sit and chat about this this conversation for a
0: little while before. Uh, That's why I look like right. death. Now that <laughs> she's got your book done, now that she has her book done, now she's gotta she's gotta help me uh get mine out there. Yes. For real, dude. Definitely. That's yeah, the... Uh, it's I, I was looking to release it January of last year because uh, I've had it all it's scrambled. It, but, it's I mean, it's,
1: hard. No, it's hard to do. It's really um, takes a lot of patience and time and you want to get it out right. You know, there were well, sometimes times I get
0: long winded, though. I get sometimes I get I, I get talk about one thing. and <laughs> I could say it 15 times over just to try to beat it in somebody's head. Like, look, this is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Trust
1: me. Okay, <laughs> nobody's more long-winded than Chris. Our first meeting was five hours. <laughs> okay, We're uh, you see that? <laughs> <Five hours. laughs> see that right there? That's where
2: you're sleeping tonight. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 can't lock the door. We don't have a lock.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly.
0: exactly. Hey, hey, and especially with a, especially with a man that's kicked so many doors open, I don't know if that would be uh, a <laughs> beneficial in the first place.
1: <laughs> scare me
0: <laughs> i don't know tell him about the karate story the other
2: day so i was teaching you how to do the uh, karate control technique the other day because uh, i was telling him, him I,
1: I can't see you in action like you're just kind of a nerd and funny and fun to hang around with but
0: he
1: he, uh, he puts some on me and then i end up on the kitchen floor i'm like okay okay i get it <laughs>
0: yeah. it, it, it was funny what was funny about that is uh you ever seen the little uh, the night stick on the keychain? A lot of people don't know what that's used for, but you're supposed to hit the wrist bone right here. Or like if, so, if somebody's restrict, uh, resisting, you hit the wrist bone, like if you're trying to put, you know, if you're trying to cuff them or anything else like that. Well, I was showing a buddy of mine. He's like, you got this stupid ass little knife stick on your thing. <laughs> Ding.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, you get that you get that wrist bone right here. So
1: yeah, he's What's that thing where you grab my hand like that?
2: Yeah, double ninety. So don't <laughs> care for any tips, man. I'm trying to trying to defend myself as
0: it is. Jesus. Pressure pressure points. Well, you're uh, like already, already you you armed with two knives.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think I know, right? And I gave her one of my guns already too. So,
2: awesome. oh boy. So you guys will have some fun tonight. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I'll be sleeping on the couch, you know, like this,
2: <laughs> looking around. Awesome.
0: Okay, anyway it's always it's always a blessing man uh yeah, let, me know, let, let me know let me know we can do it again i got, yeah, I got one tomorrow
2: for, uh, i'm gonna shoot for wednesdays um because that's my kind of sort of my half day almost um but if we could do like a, a saturday eve kind of a thing as well maybe two nights a week now uh, i'm 24 7 365. we've been doing this shit for a while real chapter
0: eight man we need to get rolling <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do it straight just to read through but i mean it's the you know I, I love talking about it though as well too because you know a lot of times it's the right things on this but you know now that i've actually freed up because i've been like doing some other my other businesses and stuff like that too it's like now that i have a lot more free time i can actually start doing a lot of the different productions and stuff like that and getting it out there on more wavelengths than what it has been so
1: and I think this is the year you're going to publish your book.
0: Oh, it's, it's definitely going to happen this year. I'll be, I'll be flying out to California f- February. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, you I'll, 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 I'll be in the neighborhood. <laughs> All right. You
1: know, we know a great taco place.
0: Awesome. Oh, the best, the best in the world. So we'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll take you to a better taco place over in Mesa, Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. you, know, you guys. You, you guys have a blessed night. It was a pleasure speaking to you. I'll speak to you guys again here soon. Cool. Okay. Sounds good, man. So stay good safe. And stay blessed, and all things. Good night.
1: Thank bud. Yes, sir. Always.